Let's open our Bibles to the first chapter of Romans. The second chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 2. The apostle, the apostle in a few verses, a few chapters, will say, Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. You're going to need the Lord Jesus Christ to be delivered from the condemnation of Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3. Because there is no hope in those chapters outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle is going to do an inspired job of taking away every human support for Jew or Gentile by these chapters. We have come to the 17th verse, and by God's grace, we want to finish chapter 2 today in these 13 verses. We have two goals. We want to learn the text and the sense of the text as it was intended when Paul wrote it. We then want to take the lessons that Paul is applying against Jews very clearly and apply it to ourselves so that we leave this place convicted, not haughty. There's no haughtiness in Romans chapter 2. There's no room for fatalism except for fatalists who are not Christians. And I'm sick of it. I get nauseated by the efforts of men to create unconverted elect. When the whole issue should be, how converted are you if you're elect? If God has unconverted elect, and I may or may not believe that doctrine. Those of you who know me know exactly what I'm saying. The issue ought to be to leave that doctrine where it belongs. On the shelf of Holy Scripture. And to take the Word of God and apply it to our hearts. That you might believe a doctrine called unconverted elect does you absolutely no more eternal good than believing the Koran or the Hindu writings. It has no value. Because there is no point of doctrine that has any value. Unless you obey it. Amen. I am so sick of hearing people say about another person, he believes the truth. So what? Right. How do you know anyway? What is truth? What does his life say? Amen. The Bible says even a child is known by his doing, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. right. Actions speak louder than words. That's always been God's religion. We're going to see it today very clearly here as the Apostle Paul brings the force of his apostleship and the inspiration of God against the Jews. Our two goals are to learn the text and to apply it to us where we can. Any condemnation that we read about in these verses against the Jews, we had better turn those guns on ourselves. Because we have been blessed above these Jews, and we have spoken as boldly, and as confidently about our religion and about the Word of God as they ever did of theirs. Are we living up to that bold and confident declaration, or are we hypocrites like the Jews were? I thank God that I serve a God, and I serve the Lord Jesus Christ, before whom all the thoughts and intents of your hearts are naked right now. Amen. Your haughty rebellion, whether it's melancholy morass of a curse, or whether it's just stupid stubbornness, or whether it's bitter grudges, or whether it's haughty arrogance about any measure of success you've had, or whether it's carnal sickness because you're so in love with the world that you don't hear the words that I'm about to preach to you, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to take you to task for them. I'm nothing. There is no fear of me. The fear is of God himself. The fear is of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I am sick of anyone that would look like a Jew in this passage after we have been taught so much. Lord, help us. The context is clearly Jewish. 
The lessons here are about Jews, not Gentiles. It amazes me how a man will go into this passage and try to bring some truth out of it about Gentiles. The lesson isn't about Gentiles. It's about Jews. So you've missed the boat. You're in the water. If you try to bring something out about Gentiles from its direct intent when it was written by Paul to this audience. We want the intent of what Paul wrote. We want the value of what Paul wrote. We want to be able to walk out of here and say, what did Paul mean by those words? And how can I apply them to me in my life and my family's life? The purpose is damnation, not regeneration. The lesson is damnation, not salvation. There is no stated regeneration in Romans chapter 2. None. It's assumed and implied by someone who has read the other 1188 chapters of the Bible. I don't want to be a fatalist even in practice, and I don't want to be a fatalist in preaching. Amen. I don't want to be a fatalist that hides behind the cross of Calvary. I don't want to be a fatalist that hides behind the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Right. We want to preach practical theology. We want to preach the religion of Jesus Christ. We want to preach Romans chapter 2 the way it's intended, and that is circumcise yourselves, you ugly sinners. So sick of hiding behind the sovereignty of God and having men do so. There is no hiding in Romans chapter 2. There's nothing about the sovereignty of God in Romans chapter 2 in this second half. It's about the duty and the responsibility of man. Of course we know that God is sovereign. Of course we know that God saves his own. Of course we know that God shows before the world began, purchased on the cross of Calvary, and regenerates in time and will glorify in eternity. Of course, we know those things. They're not taught here. What's taught here is to get off your high horse and get down on your hands and knees and beg God for mercy and obey what you've been taught from that Word of God rather than take comfort behind something you call truth. Look at the verses, the 13 verses. Let me break them down into pieces and see if we can't see that they're pretty easy to understand. First of all, he's going to deal with two issues. The Jew took pride in Scripture and circumcision. The law of God is the scriptures of the Jews of the Old Testament and the rite of circumcision, which is minor surgery upon males in cutting off extra foreskin that God stuck on the end of their tools by choice when he created man so that he could have an opportunity to issue a law to have it cut off for the sake of the Jews so that they could have a sign among all nations of the earth. So there's going to be a ritual There's going to be a ceremonial rite that's going to be condemned in this passage that the Jews trusted in. And the scriptures themselves are going to be to be shown to be of no value at all unless you obey them. It doesn't matter if you hear them, teach them, read them, memorize them, wear them, adore them, kiss them. Or talk about believing the truth. It's what are you doing with that truth that's contained in it. Two arguments. Paul is going to cut off the legs of the Jews who trust in the Word of God because they have it, they hear it, they say they believe it, they profess it, but they don't do it. And he's going to cut off the legs of the Jews that are trusting in their right of circumcision that they believe that sign of the covenant brings them into union with Abraham, and therefore they are a friend of God and is saved as much as Abraham was saved because they had some foreskin cut off of a part of their body. Those are the two. Verses 17 down through 24 cover the first one. And he will end up condemning the Jews. Verses 25 through the end of the chapter cover the second one. First the Scriptures, then circumcision. The first assembly today will take the Scriptures. The second assembly will take circumcision. Now within those verses, 17 through 24, look at his method. He gets their attention very clearly in that 17th verse and identifies his audience. Behold, let me have your attention. Listen to me. Look, thou art called a Jew. 
He uses a personal pronoun and he directs his audience to a very specific segment of his hearers and readers in Rome, and it's the Jews. So he tells us exactly who his audience is, and we want to remember that. Thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. And then in verses 17 through 20, he has a whole long string of statements about the Jews that were held in common by them, that are, that are statements of arrogance versus Gentiles. It's statements that Jews believed about themselves. And Paul grants the concession, though not without some irony or sarcasm, he grants the concession that they did have a superior body of knowledge and that they were teachers and were superior to the Gentiles but the knowledge God had given them. He just states it over and over again in verses 17, 18, 19, and 20. You're a guide. You're a light. You're an instructor. You're a teacher. You have the form of knowledge. You rest in the law. You make your boast of God. You know His will. You approve the things that are more excellent. You are instructed out of His law. He grants all that. The Jews readily would have been saying, Amen. They'd have been looking around at their Gentile neighbors sitting on the same pew and rejoicing in all that Paul was saying about the Jews. But he was saying it with a measure of irony because he's about to saw their legs off. That's in verses 17 through 20. Then in verses 21 through 23, he asks five rhetorical questions. And the rhetorical questions are to show them to be profane hypocrites. That while they took such confidence in their possession of the Bible, their teaching of the Bible, they didn't obey the Bible. And he's going to do it by five rhetorical questions. And then he's going to summarize his lesson by just hitting them square in the mouth. In verse 24, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. It was a common doctrine of the Old Testament, and I affirm it today in the New Testament, Paul writes, that the doctrine of God and the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles by you Jews because you live worse than they do, even though you profess so much. And here, I hope you can see the application coming. Let us make sure that we outlive the worldly pagans around us that we criticize and that we condemn. Make sure that we outlive the carnal Christians all around us in our marriages, in our finances, in our time, in our speech, in our thoughts, in our work ethic. And in all the areas of our lives, we better make sure we outwork those that we criticize and that we judge, because that is the lesson of 17 through 24 of chapter 2. Lord, help us. Verses 17 through 20, he's going to declare the problem. Jewish arrogance. Confidence in the truth. Makes me sick. Who, what, you don't even know what truth is. Why are you talking about it? Truth isn't talked about. Truth is done. Five rhetorical questions that should get our attention. And then the summary judgment. Let's go look at the verses. Behold, verse 17, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou, therefore, which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest, a man should not steal. Dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. 
Paul grabs the reader's attention with his first word, Behold. Listen to me and look at what I want to show you. Consider what you need to give some attention to. And then he tells us what that is. Thou art called a Jew. I thank God through Jesus Christ every time he tells us exactly the audience that he's addressing. And here we have the audience given to us plainly. Amen. To the Jews. But we're not going to walk away from this assembly by laying all the guilt and all the burden and all the duty upon the Jews. We're gonna, we want to walk away from this assembly with it laid right squarely on our shoulders because we have more and we have done more talking, possibly, than the Jews did. And we better live up to it. Right. Heavenly Father, help us. Amen. Romans chapter 2 can be understood best and will, will only be understood by those who understand its Jewish context. If you go into Romans 2 and just read for the sound of the words and don't realize who it's being addressed to, you're going to end up in confusion. This is addressed to the Jews. They had the problem with arrogance in the Bible. They had the problem with arrogance in their right of circumcision. The apostle has to undo that as part of his overall lesson of chapters 1 through 3 of condemning all men to be without hope, without a Savior, put forth in chapter 3 as the Lord Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, freely given by grace, and the redemption that is in Him, there is no hope. There is no hope in having the Bible. There is no hope in the rite of circumcision, even though the Bible came from Mount Sinai and the finger of God, even though circumcision came from the mind and purpose of God to Abraham, the father of the faithful and the friend of God. Neither of those things will help anyone at all, except bring greater condemnation for not obeying. Because the greater privilege requires greater responsibility and a greater response. He has been addressing the Jews rather covertly. This singular pronoun began in verse 1 of chapter 2. He just didn't identify them by name until we get to the 17th verse. It was a privilege to be a Jew, but that privilege doesn't save. It's a privilege to be a Christian, but that privilege doesn't save. It's a privilege to be in a church where the Bible is taught, but that privilege doesn't save. It's a privilege to have Christian parents that confess and profess the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in their heart that God has raised Him from the dead, but that doesn't save. There is no salvation outside the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's no claim to salvation without keeping the righteousness of the law as it's revealed to you. No claim to it. There's no basis for it without living it. Lord, help us to see that as clearly as we possibly can. What a blessed privilege it was to be a Jew. And it was. And we we must admit it without denying it. Look at chapter 3. And let's see that Paul will say it a couple more times as we progress through the book of Romans that it was a good thing to be a Jew. They were God's chosen people. God did have a special relationship with them. God did show them favors He did not show the Gentile nations. Chapter 3 and verse 1, what advantage then hath the Jew? After chapter 2, you might say to yourself, well, if the Bible doesn't matter, and if circumcision doesn't matter, what advantage then was there to being a Jew? Well, let's hear the inspired answer. Or what profit is there of circumcision in verse 1? Much, every way. A whole lot, by any measure. That's all. That's all. So if you're wondering, it was a great privilege to be a Jew. And it's that privilege that led to their arrogance. It was the privilege of God choosing Abraham and no one else. It was the privilege of God giving them Canaan and destroying seven nations to give it to them. It was the privilege of God destroying Egypt to deliver the slaves into the land of Canaan. It was the privilege of Mount Sinai and the word of God coming down to the Israelites that caused them to be so arrogant. It was the privilege of having the worship of God centered in Jerusalem that led to it. That's why they despise the riches of His goodness and His forbearance and His long-suffering. Because it's God's goodness and His forbearance and His long-suffering that leads men to think arrogantly that they are saved by something other than or a claim of salvation by their obedience. So they start to think, by birth, I'm saved. And there are state churches in the world today. A child is born, christened or baptized... Except there is no baptism of an infant. So we have to call it something else. 
So we'll call it a christening. By that christening, they become a citizen of the nation and they become a member of the church. Or they are not formally acknowledged as a member of the church until confirmation 5, 10, 12, 8, 15 years later. This is the error of the Jews. Trusting in their lineage. I have the right parents. I come from the right blood. I'm related to Abraham by blood. By having the Bible read in their synagogues every Sabbath day, by having the rite of circumcision, these were blessings. But they did not save. And see, Paul has to undo that before he gets further into the book of Romans because he is dealing with Jewish legalism in the New Testament. If you read Galatians, the whole epistle is on this subject. If you read Ephesians, two chapters are on this subject. If you read Philippians, a chapter is on this subject. If you read the book of Hebrews, the whole epistle is on this subject. If you read Romans, the majority of it is on this subject. Jewish confidence in their national heritage, their physical genealogy, their ritualistic religion, and the revelation that they had in God's scriptures, they thought could, would, surely save them. Paul has to undo all that so that he can cut off all these Judaizers that would try to convince men that they could be saved by any other means than Jesus Christ. Jew and Gentile alike need the precious blood flowing down from that cross of Calvary into the dust of that hill for our sins. The life of Jesus Christ needs to be taken in order for any man to live. There is no privilege eternally in being a Jew unless you're a true Jew. And a true Jew is one who circumcises his own heart. In this context, every child in our church should understand that the only man that would ever circumcise his own heart is a man who's already been born again. Because it's only by being born again that you would ever choose, desire to, and apply the tools to circumcise your own heart, which is repentance. It follows regeneration. Here we are in the 17th verse, but let's go to chapter 9 first to see how Paul, Paul is not demeaning the Jews, he's demeaning the hypocrisy of the Jews. Look what he says about the Jews in verses 3 through 5 of chapter 9. For I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, my relatives, verse 4, who are Israelites. Well, what do you have to say about the Israelites, Paul? To whom pertaineth the adoption? They were God's children. They were God's people. God adopted that nation above all the nations of the earth. To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory of Mount Sinai and the covenants of Abraham and Moses and the giving of the law from Mount Sinai and the service of God in the tabernacle and the temple and the promises of God made by the prophets, whose are the fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of whom this nation of Israel as concerning the flesh Jesus Christ was born, who is overall God blessed forever. Amen. Amen. That's all that there was to being a Jew. Just a few benefits. Just a few. Glorious benefits. And the Apostle mentions them. He's not undoing those statements. He's undoing and he's attacking the hypocrisy of these people who took confidence in their privileges that that was salvation. And that they could presume that they were saved based on the fact that they had the Word of God, that they were missing a piece of foreskin, and that they had the right family tree. Romans 2.17 Behold, thou art called a Jew, and you delight in being called that. The Jews did delight in being the Jews. When John the Baptist appeared on the scene in Matthew chapter 3, he looks at that crowd that included some Pharisees, and he said, Don't you dare think that Abraham's your father, and that's going to help you. Who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. He didn't say believe the truth. He said bring forth some fruits Meet for repentance. Show me a life that shows repentance. Because there's wrath coming on this nation. Don't think within yourselves that Abraham's our father. Jesus had to deal with the same thing. They said Abraham's our father and we've never been in bondage to any man. Did they forget about Egypt? Did they forget about Assyria? Did they forget about Babylon 
and they forget about Rome, the coins of which were tinkling in their pockets. And they forget about the devil himself. We were never in bondage to any man. Jesus would respond by saying, if Abraham were your father, he would do the works of Abraham. They constantly were referring to this. Jesus had to inspire our beloved brother John in John 1.13 to say that men are born again not of blood. Right. Because there is no advantage to any nation that you're born in or any set of parents that you're born to. Thou art called a Jew. Yes, they were called Jews and they took so much pride in that fact. And restest in the law. They thought that the law was going to save them. But you know, they thought about the law in a different way than they should have thought about the law. The law should have been their code of conduct. The law should have been their manual for living. Instead, it was a ritualistic thing of which they were somewhat thankful, but incredibly arrogant about having the Word of God. They wore it, kissed it, adored it, taught it, heard it every Sabbath day, memorized it, but they didn't obey it. Paul has already corrected in the 13th verse their error of hearing it and thinking that there is value in the hearing. Just as I began our worship this day by taking you to James chapter 1, verses 21 through 27, so the Apostle Paul does that to the Jews in this 13th verse of this chapter. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. The only evidence, the only claim, the only basis that you will ever see God is by your obedience to the Word of God. That's the issue. It's not hearing it. They heard it. The Bible refers to it being preached every Sabbath day to the Jews in their synagogues. You didn't have to make it all the way to the Jerusalem to be in the temple to hear the Word of God. You could go to your local synagogue and hear it read. Jesus himself went to the synagogues. Jesus himself read the Scriptures in the synagogue of Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. Jesus is correcting their confidence in the law, first by an obedience to a modified commandment. The whole Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Ye have heard of them of old time. Ye have heard it said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, the Jews had taken the word of God and had reduced the sixth commandment, Thou shalt not kill, until it was limited to the actual event of you taking the life of another person without justifiable cause. Jesus broadened that back out to mean if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're guilty of the sixth commandment. So notice, they rested in the law. The, the way they rested in the law was that they heard it. The way they rested in the law was that they interpreted it in such a way as just about any good old boy could keep it. Because most good old boys haven't killed somebody. Good old Jewish boys is what I'm referring to. There's so many verses on this subject, it's almost every chapter in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus has to deal with this heresy. Remember a lawyer stood up? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What are the commandments? Love the Lord thy God and love thy neighbor as thyself. The lawyer would say, who is my neighbor? Notice the intent of a Jew. I want to modify the word of God. I want to limit it. It's it's constraints on my life until I can keep it easily. If your neighbor is just the people living on the two sides of you and your family and your friends, anybody can love their neighbor as themselves. By that definition. But the Lord Jesus said, no, it's a good Samaritan loving a Jew. With the opposite lesson being involved, it's a Jew loving a Samaritan. That's your neighbor. When God puts someone in your way that you may not necessarily like that is the one that you're supposed to love as yourself and on and on it goes there's so much of it matthew chapter 9 and verse 13 about their confidence in the law and how they rest in it go ye and learn what that meaneth i will have mercy and not sacrifice for i am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance why don't you go and learn what it means to show mercy 
Because, see, they had limited their mercy to themselves. They didn't want to show mercy to another person. If there was a lame man, they didn't want that lame man to be healed on the Sabbath day. Ceremony was more important to them. Ritual was more important. Let that man be healed next week. And on and on it went. Jesus corrected it. Most, much of his life was spent correcting the abuses of the Pharisees. Jesus corrected their proud wearing of the law. Jesus rebuked their trust in Moses. Look at John chapter 5. Why does it say they trusted in Moses? Because Moses gave them the law. He gave them the truth. Truth. Every man's got the truth. Everyone in hell has the truth. Truth doesn't save unless you do it. Truth doesn't even save practically. And it certainly doesn't save eternally, vitally, legally, or finally. And it can only save practically when you obey it. Receive with meekness. Humble yourselves and repent before the Word of God. And do what it says. It's the doers of the Word that shall be blessed in their deed. John chapter 5. There's a number of verses here. Verse 41, I receive not honor from men. And you're going to need that verse later today. But I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. See, it's not the love of God upon them that's the issue. That's God's choice. The issue is, how much do you love God? Ye have not the love of God in you. You don't love God. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Praise the Lord. It sounds like Jesus preached the same gospel that Paul preached. It sounds like John 5 is the same as Romans 2. You're putting so much confidence in the writing on the paper. You're putting so much confidence in the paper and the expensive leather binding. But you're forgetting what it's teaching. It was teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter 2, it was teaching against stealing. It was teaching against blasphemy. It was teaching against adultery. But they missed that lesson. Because they were so hung up on having the Bible itself. The giving of the law on Mount Sinai was one of the most dramatic events in the Bible. If you read Exodus 19 last night, you know that. I mean, Hebrews chapter 12 goes on and describes it from a New Testament perspective. That it says Moses exceedingly feared and quaked at Mount Sinai. The mountain was altogether on a smoke. It looked like it was a blast furnace. And there was a rope around the bottom of that mountain that even if a beast... Past that rope, they were to be thrust through with darts. God was so concerned, Moses gets up for the first time and he says, Go back down and tell them, don't you dare come near this mountain. That was a serious worship service. We've never had anything here like it. But we ought to take the word of God just as powerfully. Because we're to worship him acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And that was in context of Hebrews chapter 12. That is in Hebrews chapter 12, where it describes Mount Sinai. We haven't come to that mound that burnt with fire. We've come to the Lord Jesus Christ and Mount Zion, and that's even weightier. That's the whole purpose of Hebrews 12, that our duty under the New Testament is greater than their duty under the Old Testament. It was a great thing. But they trusted in the possession of it. The The Jews had a problem, just like we do. Their problem is hypocrisy. I love my flesh, I love the world, I want to live like the world, and yet I want to be a Christian. I want to have my cake and eat it too. I want to be both. I want to go to heaven when I die, but I want to have my heaven here on earth as well. The Jews thought that way. Remember 1 Samuel chapter 4, in a battle against the Philistines, what did they take into battle with them, thinking that it would help them? They took the Ark of the Covenant. Did they win the battle? No. Did the men carrying the Ark survive? No. Did the ark survive? It was stolen by the enemies that they intended to defeat by having the ark of the covenant in battle. What about their high priest? What happened to him? What about that high priest's grandson that was being born that day? What about the woman that was giving birth to him? Did did that day turn out to be pretty bad? Because they put their confidence in a ceremonial ritual, in a thing, in in a relic 
of the Jews' religion. Don't you put any trust in the Bible that you walk in here with a tie on and carrying a Bible doesn't do a thing. It's whether you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only evidence of eternal life. It doesn't matter if we rightly divide every single phrase of this Bible, which I don't believe that we are. We're only dividing it rightly as much as God shows us. And and all that doesn't save us. The only claim that you can have to salvation is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and live a life according to the dictates of the Bible that He inspired. The Jews trusted the Ark of the Covenant. Was the Ark of the Covenant special? Yes. Was it from God? Yes. Did it contain the law of God? Yes. Did God treat it very carefully as a sacred object? Yes. Did it save anyone? Never. Did the Jews put their trust in it? Yes. Are there there people today who put their trust in baptism? Yes. Church membership? Yes. Having the Word of God? Yes. Yes. Knowing that the King James Bible is God's Word, yes. Do any of those things save? Never. They rested in the law. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7. This is the best cross-reference for this particular line of reasoning of Paul in Romans chapter 2. This is an example of the Jews' confidence in the temple. I've, I've referred to it twice before. This is number three. That's how you learn. Because I don't ever want you to forget Jeremiah 7 when you're thinking Romans chapter 2 or people putting stock, trust, faith, confidence in a thing, in an ordinance, in a part of religion, even if God ordained it, because that doesn't save. Verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah, that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, The temple of the Lord are these. For if ye truly amend your ways and your doings, if ye truly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if ye oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt, then will I cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers, Forever and ever, if you will obey. Verse 8, Behold, sounds like 217, doesn't it? Behold, and 1,293 other places beyond those two. Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery? Does it sound like Romans 2? Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations. We have God's blessing upon us that we can live any way we want to because we've got God's worship. We've got God's temple. Behold, you're trusting in lying words that cannot profit. So since we don't have a temple... We take verse 4 and we look at it and we hear people trusting in lying words. The truth of the Lord. The truth of the Lord. The truth of the Lord. That doesn't save. The baptism of the Lord. There's only one baptism. The baptism of the Lord. The baptism of the Lord. Baptism doesn't save. The church of the Lord. The church of the Lord. The church, church doesn't save. The King James Bible of the Lord, it doesn't save. What saves in this context? If ye truly amend your ways and your doings, if ye execute judgment, and he runs down a short list, which includes everything else that belongs in that list. What kind of a spouse are you? What kind of a parent are you? Child, employee, worker, financial manager, spirit ruler, mouth ruler, Amend your ways. 
Then I'll cause you to dwell in this place. This was Jeremiah 7. How long before he took him out of that place? While Jeremiah was still alive. Just a few years later. Bye-bye. Ripped that temple to the ground and tore it apart by Nebuchadnezzar. Raised, R-A-Z-E-D, raised Jerusalem to the ground. They trusted in it. We're God's people. We have God's worship. We can walk out of here because I know the truth was preached today. We have the King James Bible. We have proper baptism. We have the ancient landmarks. The landmarks of the Lord. The ancient landmarks of the Lord. They won't save anyone. It's whether we're obeying the ancient landmarks of the Lord. And the ancient landmarks of the Lord, the wives are to submit and reverence their husbands and be their doting and affectionate companions. And their husbands are to be lovers of them and to cherish them and nourish them. And on and on we go with all that God teaches us. Back to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law. There's so much more that could be said. We want two things of it. The Jews trusted in having the Bible, which didn't help them a bit, except to bring greater condemnation. We need to apply it, that we say many things about resting in the King James Bible. Who cares if we're right? Who cares if we're wrong? The issue is... Not whether the King James Bible is God's Word or not, but if we believe it's God's Word, we better be keeping every sentence of it. That's the issue. Don't get me wrong. You all know where I stand in the King James Bible. I have nothing without a King James Bible. I've bet time and eternity on the King James Bible. Oh, But you know what? Right now I'm scared even saying those words. I've bet time and eternity on it. Well, there's only way to place a bet on the Bible. It's to obey it. Not to quote it or to memorize it. And they made their boast of God. They thought that God was their God. Was He? Be be careful. Oh, yes, He was. He was their God in a ceremonial way. And He was the God of every sincere one that had circumcised their heart in the nation. They made their boast of God. Is it wrong to boast of God? No. It's a commandment to boast of God. Psalm 34 and verse 2. Deborah, you love those verses. I know that about you. Psalm 34. I think your mother does too. I think I recently heard them from her. Psalm 34. Let me read. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Those are wonderful verses. We are supposed to make our boast in the Lord. What was the error in Romans 2.17? Boasting in the Lord and not living like the Lord wanted them to live. That is the error. He is chopping their legs off, but He's granting them some concessions. Thou art called a Jew. That's a noble ancestry to be a Jew. You're blessed. You rest in the law. You put your trust in the law of God. God's revelation from heaven. Not the Koran or any other holy book of the Egyptians or the Babylonians. You make your boast of God because God is your God. It was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. But you don't live like God tells you to live. He's going to get to that in a moment. I'm just, he doesn't say it yet. He just says all these things that yes, yes we do. As they look up and down the pew at the Gentiles that are sitting beside them, that inside their pants there's still a foreskin. I love, I love thinking about this. I love thinking about the man that stood up in the pulpit at the church at Rome and opened up the epistle of the Romans and started reading down through this. And all those sentences that he read where the Jew would be really feeling good about himself because he's, God's putting down the Gentiles. Just keep that in mind as we get through the rest of this chapter. Because that Jew's going to be getting smaller and smaller and smaller in his pew while the Gentiles are going to be lifting up Yes, because there's no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They made their boast of God. Look at Micah. Micah chapter 3. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, 
Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Micah chapter 3. This was a, this, this problem that the Jews had, we want to understand it from a Jewish context to get the right sense of the verses. And yet, do we, could we, might we commit the same error as the elect of God in the New Testament with the Word of God? We know more about the will of God than the Jews did. Far more. We have more privilege than they ever had. They couldn't go directly into the presence of God. We can go any hour of the day that you want to. We have the temple of the Lord right here. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is walking in this temple. And His Spirit indwells it. We are blessed. We can be haughty too. Here's a warning of the prophet Micah about their boast in God without obeying. Micah chapter 3, verse 8. Truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Do you love your brother Micah? Let me read it again. But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob and princes of the house of Israel, that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. They build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. The heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Do you hear? Do you see the error? Amen. We're the Lord's people. We have the Word of God. We have proper baptism. We have the ancient landmarks. We've got it. The Lord is among us. And yet you live any way you want to. Look at what the prophet had to say to them and how he said it. He was full of power by the Spirit of God and of judgment and of might. To declare their transgression and their sin. This is what Paul's doing in Romans chapter 2. Come back there and let's quickly wrap up these verses. You say you spent all your time on 217. Well, once you spend the time on 217, 18 through 24, pretty easy. You'll see. Remember, there's, remember? What do we have here in 2, 17 through 24? 17 through 20? He grants them some concessions in their arrogance of how they thought themselves superior to Gentiles. Those poor, deluded, blinded, darkened, blackened Gentiles, we have the Word of God. We can teach them anything. Just, just be thinking about those words. As the Jew puffed himself up and Paul granted it, then took him apart with five rhetorical questions and then gave him a summary bottom line of what God thought of them and what the Gentiles really thought of them. And the Gentiles might have shouted amen at verse 24 as it reached its conclusion. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. Paul is identifying the arrogance and confidence of the Jews. Verse 18, and knowest his will. Did they have more knowledge of the will of God than any other nation? Of course. Where did they get the knowledge of that will? From the word of God and from their prophets. And the Jews approved the things that are more excellent. Did they know how to approve more excellent things in matters of philosophy, in matters of politics, in matters of business, in matters of morality, in matters of religion? Did they know to approve things that were more excellent? They did. Do you think there's just a little tinge of sarcasm and irony here in these words that Paul's writing to these Jews? I hope you're able to read the Bible with a little bit of understanding. He's not declaring facts except about their hearts. And he's about to take his chainsaw out and light it up. You're being instructed out of the law. You had the word of, you had the law read to you by ready scribes like Ezra all the time every Sabbath day. So you're instructed out of it. You're a knowledgeable person. You are, verse 19, you're confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind. The blind need to come to you so that they can have a guide to show them how to walk through life. A light of them which are in darkness. Those poor dark Gentiles. They don't, they don't know anything. And you can provide them light if they would just come to you. You've got it all. Do we ever talk this way about carnal Christians and about pagans? It's not wrong for us to know that we have the light. 
It's not wrong for us to be thankful to God that we have the light. It's not wrong for us to say, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. But do you know what false ways you ought to hate the most? Your own. Verse 20. An instructor of the foolish. Yes, all fools ought to come to me. I'll make you wise. This is the Jew. This is Paul granting them all these uh, wonderful descriptions. A teacher of babes. If anyone's a child in knowledge, just come to a Jew and he'll be able to teach you. Which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. You've got the form that God gave it in the law of God. All you've got to do is find yourself a Jew and you're going to be all better. Now he did that for four verses. 17, 18, 19, and 20. Behold, listen to me. You Jews, you're thankful to be called it. You rest in the law. You make your boast of God. And you're all these wonderful things that you think about yourself because you've got the Bible of the Old Testament. A few questions for you. Verse 21. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? You want to be a light of those in darkness, a guide of those that are blind, a teacher of babes, and a wise man for fools. You that want to teach another, do you teach yourself? Have you taken the Word of God and applied it to your own life? Or are you only thinking about Gentiles and how privileged you are, and that you would set them straight? Wouldn't we just love to get the pulpit of one of these carnal, mega-seeker-sensitive churches? That isn't the real issue. The real issue, will I go home and put into practice what the Bible says about my treatment of my wife? Yes, right. And I don't like preaching to my wife when I have to say something like that. And for the rest of you that are sitting here, eat it. I have to. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? What's the an- That's a rhetorical question to make them think, but we know the answer. They weren't teaching themselves. They kissed it. They wore it. They adored it. They read it. They memorized it. They transcribed it. They protected it. They exalted it, but they didn't keep it. They didn't teach themselves. Thou that preachest, a man should not steal. Dost thou steal? They were notorious for being thieves. You say, you're not very nice. I'm going to call the Anti-Defamation League. Oh, precious. Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm just going to read it to you. Here's what, the, here's what God says about the Jews. He is a merchant. The balances of deceit are in his hand. He loveth to oppress. Hosea 12, 7. What did Jesus have to drive out of the very temple of God? You have turned the house of prayer into a den of thieves. They would devour widows' houses under the pretense of religion. Matthew 23 and verse 14. They were notorious for being thieves. And so the Apostle Paul brings it to bear here. Thou that preachest. Is there anything wrong with preaching against stealing? No. Should you preach against stealing hard? Loud? Yes and yes. But what had you better do? Preach to yourself first if you're stealing anywhere in your life. Every man who has ever preached is a sinner. Because he's a sinner, does that mean he modifies the message? That he tones it down? That he compromises it? That he apologizes for it? No, 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 and no. What must he do in order to be able to preach it? Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them both things. Taking heed to thyself and to the doctrine For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. That's what a man has to do. Every every father knows he also has faults in his life. But does that mean he doesn't discipline his children? No, he has to step up and discipline them anyway. That's a lie of the devil. Whenever you withhold judgment from your children just because you know you're not perfect. If I ever thought that way for one minute, I would quit in one minute. And go do something totally different. How did David ever execute his office after his horrible sins? No problem. The truth is still the truth. 
There's no error in the teaching or the preaching of verse 21. The error is in teaching and preaching others and not teaching and preaching to yourself. The error is in telling others that they're wrong and not correcting the faults in your own life. The error is in taking confidence that you have something to give others when you don't take advantage of what's been given to you and use it in your life. Verse 22, thou that sayest the man should not commit adultery. Dost thou commit adultery? The Jews were notorious for adultery. The Lord God compared them to horses, well-fed horses that wake up in the morning. And anybody that knows about horses knows what they look like when you look at them from a side angle in the morning. They go neighing after their neighbor's wives. Jesus had to deal with it. Matthew chapter 5, It has been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you Jews that want to limit and restrict that commandment down to the literal act of adultery, of having sex with a woman that you're not married to, those and breaking a marriage covenant, those you Jews that want to limit it to that, if you lust after her in your heart, you're guilty of the seventh commandment. And if you use the divorce laws of Deuteronomy 24 to get at another woman... You have broken the seventh commandment. Thou that preachest and sayest the man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Yes, they did. They were inconsistent in the word of God. They were hypocrites. Are we? Do we rail on sexual depravity and sexual corruption in our generation? How can we rail against sodomy if you ever defraud your spouse? They're equal crimes. Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? The Jews took such pride in the fact that they hated idolatry and thought it was absolute insanity when their whole history is made up of idolatry. Do you know why there was so much trouble with meat offered to idols in the New Testament? Because there were Jews in those churches that just hated idolatry. The Gentiles didn't give a rip. They could walk straight into the temple, hack a quarter quarter shoulder off of an ox that had just been offered to Zeus, take it home and grill it for their family. It didn't bother them a bit. And the Jews would just, oh, don't you know they're playing with the devil by going and getting meat offered to an idol. But guess what? These same Jews that acted like they were so spiritual about protecting the worship of God and would never worship an idol, they would say, if you swear by the temple and you don't keep your oath, no problem. But if you swear by the gold of the temple... That vow holds. That vow is binding. Matthew 23. Is that sacrilege? Do you want to go follow the Lord's reason? I don't have time. Do you know the reasoning of the Lord in Matthew 23? What do you think makes the goal of importance? What do you think makes the temple of importance? Because you end up at the one object of the universe that makes anything important. The God of heaven. Amen. Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Question number five in verse 23. Thou that makest thy boast of the law. You Jew, thou Jew, that are so confident because you've got the Bible. Through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? You boast with your mouth about the law of God and how thankful you are for it and how wonderful it is. Do you dishonor God when you break it? Yes, amen. Rhetorical question demanding a positive answer in the 24th verse. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. There's, turn to one of them. Isaiah 52.5. Isaiah 52.5. As it is written. We're down to verse 24. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. There's several places. There's not a specific one where Paul quotes these words. He quotes the argument, the lesson, the the rule that's given in several places. Here's one of them. Isaiah 52, 5. Now therefore what have I here, saith the Lord, that my people is taken away for naught? They that rule over them make them to howl, saith the Lord, and my name continually every day is blasphemed. The Babylonians... The Egyptians and others understood well about the overthrow of the nation of Israel because they knew the God that Israel worshipped originally. They knew about the God that delivered them out of Egypt. Then they watched them turn to idolatry, and when their nation was overthrown, a nation that had been invincible, 
They understood and they blasphemed the God of heaven. They blasphemed God because of the wickedness of the Jews that resulted in the Gentile superiority over them. Other places could be read. We're closing up this sermon. Verse 24, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. What did Nathan the prophet tell David after he committed adultery and murder? You have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Did David love truth? Did David have the truth? Did David keep the truth? No. When Nathan gave him an object lesson of the farmer and the ewe lamb, did he answer with quite a bit of zeal? Did he answer with quite a bit of ferocity, severity, defense of righteousness in his unrighteous state? Did he have the truth? But he wasn't keeping it. And God said, because you've given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child dies, and here's what I'm going to do to you in your house. Titus chapter 2, we close. Titus, Titus, Paul has just shown that the Jews have no hope outside of Christ. They rest in the law, and they make their boast of God, and they think that they have a great deal of light and instruction and knowledge in the form of the law. But when Paul gets done by asking five rhetorical questions, they realize that as a nation and as individuals, they are guilty of the crimes that they preach so loudly against. Therefore, the law is no hiding place for them. And then Paul brings it to a summary in verse 24 by saying, The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. As it is written, it was true of your fathers, and it is true of you. The Gentiles look at your nation, they know about some of your laws, and they know that you don't keep them, and they live better than you do. And the name of God is blasphemed. We now must go beyond that lesson. And this is how we close. That is the sense of the verses 2.17 through 2.24. What do we walk out of here with? Our confidence in a King James Bible, in this church, in proper baptism, in the ancient landmarks of the faith, is of no value. And it will condemn us unless we live it. Look at Titus. Let's let's make it really practical. Verse 3, Titus 2.3. The aged women likewise that they begin behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women. Here's what all you young women should be. Sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, Good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. We end up ourselves in Titus 2.5, we end up ourselves in Romans 2.24, with the name of God being blasphemed by our lives, if we don't keep the word of God. Amend your ways and your doings. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 7, execute judgment, Micah said in Micah 3. It's the doers of the law, not the hearers of the law. Let's not be hearers only, but be doers. Where in your life are you compromising the Word of God? Where are you cheating? Where are you fudging? Where are you modifying the commandments of God? It isn't enough for you to be in this church. It isn't enough for you to be baptized. Are you a loving husband? Are you a good father? Are you a good child? Do you honor your parents? It doesn't matter whether you obey them. Do you honor them? Are you faithful in all of your financial management? Do you give to the Lord His part? Do you give to the government His part? Do you serve your employer? Do you ever talk back? Are you a purloiner? Are you bringing your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? These are commandments of the Word of God. It doesn't matter if we hear them. It doesn't matter if we preach about them. It doesn't matter if we criticize and condemn others because of them. Are we doing them? 
This is the lesson for us. Romans chapter 2, 17 through 24. There is no hope for the Jew trusting in his Jewishness, resting in the law, making his boast of God and thinking that he is a real light and guide and teacher and preacher for all those poor, belated, benighted, dark, blind, foolish Gentiles. There, there is no value in the word of God unless we keep it. Same thing in the next lesson. Come back for more. Amen. <laughs> and I'll come back with you. I've been through it a few times before I got here. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.